Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So, put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fabulous. So everybody, <laughs> I want to introduce Mary Osborne. Mary is an occupational therapist and her specialty is dementia care. And her, let's see, I think I've got, I'm going to put it down here on the bottom. Mary, her company is yourdementiatherapist.com. Do make sure to check her out on every social platform that there is known to man because Mary (laughs) is there. Uh, And she is the Instagram queen. So if you are on Instagram, please check out Mary. She's got tons of videos and clips of strategies and tools and things you need to know if you have a loved one with dementia. Thank you so much, Genevieve. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. So when Mary and I were talking a couple weeks ago, I brought up the idea of talking about accessibility, but accessibility in a slightly different way than, you know, the words been thrown around. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it because it came up with one of my clients that are the folks we serve, you being the dementia community, me being the stroke community, especially the aphasia community. Mm-hmm. How do we help our families and folks get out of the house? Yeah. If they've become isolated, you know, or if there was an incident that happened out in the community that caused them to not want to get out. So I thought we'd pull back the curtain and you and I just talk about it and let everybody kind of see how how we go. And I'm sure we'll get some tips and tricks out of it. Yes, for sure. This is such a great topic because there's so much overlap with what you do and what I do. And we can bring both of our perspectives to the table. So yeah, I'm excited to speak with you about this. Do you have an example to kick us off with? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about an example related to COVID because I feel like this is definitely like a prevalent concern. And even still, I do feel like family members struggle with this, with their loved ones being really skeptical and fearful because of COVID and the community. And something I actually dealt with a lot, I would say a lot, like over the past like two years, right? Once everyone was getting back out in the community and COVID is still prevalent in the community and still a fear of most individuals. So for me, it's really thinking about like, how can I help minimize those fears of COVID for that person? You know, like, what would they be agreeable to do? Um, And this is such a tough topic because this concern of COVID, it's so valid, it's so real, but it's really about thinking about how we can decrease the fear associated with COVID and being out. You know, are there certain steps that we can take to help with this? Can we find a reason that is motivating for that person to get out? So 
I'll bring up a situation of a client that I was working with whose significant other had dementia. And this person was really reluctant to get out into the community because of COVID. And they actually had this big family event coming up and everyone was really nervous about it, right? Because they were like, well, how are we going to get this person there? You know, they're very skeptical of COVID in the first place. Like, how is this going to happen? So, you know, how can I make this a win-win for everyone? But also take into consideration the person living with dementia's fears. We had a table separated from everyone else. We had a mask available. We had noise canceling headphones because these settings can, can be a little intimidating. Uh-huh. Having a backup ride just in case that person, you know, only wanted to stay for a certain amount of time. So it's about thinking about how can I make this a win-win for everyone and think about what I can do to set up the environment in a way that can help everyone involved. I want to hear an example that you've encountered. I'll give you a recent example. The gentleman I work with, he has significant aphasia and he's wheelchair bound. He can walk in, you know, a bit, use a walker, but for the most part, he gets around by a wheelchair. And the thing about it was they always had to host the family or friends to come to their house because it was accessible. But that's also a lot of work on the spouse all the time to host people. And that being the only way for them to socialize. Then they had a family member buy them a portable ramp. 16 pounds folds up, the wife can move it around, and it's got a 600 pound capacity. Well, then we start talking to my client about it and breaking it down into steps like, how can we get used to it? And it came out that his biggest concern was his wife's safety and her not getting injured. Before I tell you how that turned out, how about you and I kind of talk about how would we break down that situation? Yeah. So just in summary, they go out in the community, but they're isolated in the house. So when they want to get together with family and friends, everybody has to come to them. And he seems to have a concern about going out because of it. And she does too, about accessibility. Are there handrails? Is there a ramp? Is there a level entrance? How are we going to get to the bathroom? What if there's clutter in the house or, you know, a hundred throw rugs. We've all been in the houses and I love all my clients, but you know, throw rugs are not your friend. If we were going into somebody's house for the first time, Mm -hmm. what are some accessibility things we need to talk about? You need to figure out the concern or what is that person having difficulty with? So figuring out what is impacting their ability to safely getting around the house or getting out into the community. And this is where I think um, it's so important to have like a team of therapists, right? A speech therapist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, and the doctor, especially with a new diagnosis of a stroke or dementia, right? So we can get in there and figure out like, what is this person able to do now? You know, what, what are some concerns? What are some things that they're experiencing difficulty with? So then we can perform that assessment on that individual. And then that not only helps that individual, but helps the caregiver understand better, like where their person is at and what kinds of things we recommend. So we absolutely need to know where our, our person is functioning. So let's go through the process. Let's say you and I are walking into 
somebody's house for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at it through the eyes of clinicians and how are people going to access that house? Yes. What are so even starting out in the driveway, starting out mm -hmm. at the street level, let's do a house assessment and and talk it through. So the wife pulls up to the house and her her person is in a wheelchair. What mm -hmm. does she need to be concerned with first? Yeah, getting into the house. We need to figure out how to make that accessible. Is it currently accessible? How are they how are they performing that? How is this what does this look like? So seeing where are they at? both cognitively and physically, because these are two very important pieces of the puzzle that we need to figure out, that we need to assess. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. So yeah. let's say the driveway is flat. They can pull into, she can back into the driveway and then easily, you know, there's a walkway that leads up to maybe one step entrance yeah. to, to the house. And then there's that lip, you know, once she's on the porch, then there's that lip to get into the doorway. Yeah. So and let's then, say she can use the ramp. They successfully got off, up the ramp. They are in the front entryway. And luckily for this house, it's level. Mm -hmm. No step downs or anything. It's level. But let's paint the picture. There's throw rugs. There's lots of pieces of furniture. What yeah. would need to happen? So I'm going to take it from the perspective of the wife, the yeah. wife managing her husband who's in the wheelchair and she's going over to a friend's house or maybe it's a relative. She needs to know what that path is from the front door to the living area, whatever room they're going to hang out in. Mm -hmm. And then she needs to see where the bathroom is. How yeah. can she navigate that? Yeah. Oh, like, go Brenda, you want us to come over, but... Yeah, I know your house is cluttered. I know your house is cluttered and there's too much furniture and there's throw rugs and, you know. <laughs> Maybe she can check it out beforehand if she hasn't already and kind of see what that space looks like. Maybe it's measuring the doorways and making sure like if the individual did have to use the bathroom or she had to help the person to the bathroom, what this looks like. Can you easily get in and out? Um, yeah, different things like that. And just kind of seeing what that, what the accessibility looks like in that house. Yeah. So how do we start a difficult conversation? Hey, I would love to come over. I just have to make sure that this area is accessible for my loved one that we're able to easily get in and out of the different doorways. Like, what does this look like? You know, like, I just want to make sure that this is a, a good situation for both of us, for all of us, you know, because I don't want to get myself into an unsafe situation. So there are just different things that I have to take into consideration whenever getting my loved one out and about. Can we talk about bathroom accommodations? Let's talk mm -hmm. about it from the perspective of maybe someone who has dementia mm -hmm. without getting too deep in the weeds, but what does mm -hmm. a caregiver, a spouse need to think about for bathroom needs for someone with dementia if they're going to go visiting? Yes, that is so true. So this is a great, this is a great question, actually. And my number one thing, I am such an advocate for occupational therapy. I'm like, if a change in status has occurred. If it's a new diagnosis, and even throughout the diagnosis, you're going to notice a progressive decline because with dementia, you're going to have that decline over throughout the stages. So, it's it's really about just kind of recognizing where that person is and seeing if we can get an occupational therapist involved to further assess the environment and seeing what they can recommend to make <clears throat> the bathroom 
as safe as possible. So that's something that we do actually, whenever we go in, we assess like physical strength, we assess, assess cognition, we see how the bathroom is set up and different things that we can do, like would grab bars be appropriate? Would an elevated toilet seat would, I mean, there's so many different things. It has to be like individualized. It has to be individualized for that person, right? Because not every person living with dementia is the same, right? Everyone's going to be different and they're going to have their own needs. But it's about seeing like where that person is at and what they would need in order to help their situation, to make their situation better and also the caregivers. And also when we go in there, we can help train the caregivers on like what the safest way to get this person up and down is, what, how to use the equipment. So it just, I think the equipment just depends from person to person. And it also depends on what the bathroom looks like, right? Like, are they going to have to remove the threshold around the door to get the wheelchair in or whatever assistive device they use? There's so many different things to look at, which I think an individualized approach is so important in these situations. Would you say so too? Like, especially from like a speech therapist, because you can assess the cognition of the individual too, right? Like, and how they're communicating and see how that all fits into the equation, right? Yeah. Communication advocacy. I mean, that that's like a whole other five hour show. (laughs) But, you know, I think about the stroke survivors that I, that I've worked with over the years, especially, you know, when I did a lot of home health care. Yeah. And helping families plan ahead. So let's say our person in the wheelchair has gotten into the house or visiting a friend's house mm-hmm. and they can do some basic transfers, that kind of thing. Give a perspective of the different things that might need to be considered. I know we always want to individualize, right? That's, yeah. that's, we don't paint with a broad brush when we work with our folks. Yeah. I think it's just kind of meeting that person like where they're at currently and making the environment as safe and accessible as possible for where they're currently at. The goal is to help maximize their progress and their independence and help with getting them back to how they were prior to the stroke. Definitely. So I think if we kind of sum up a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, Mm -hmm. first off, whether it's someone who has dementia or someone who's had a stroke, if they're going to get out of the house Mm -hmm. and try new things, first we have to figure out what the fears are. Yes. Yes. We have to identify the fears and also what is the goal of like the caregiver and the person, right? Like is the well, oftentimes you'll see a lot of reluctance from the person living with dementia, maybe getting out in the community because um, maybe they they realize something is different, and the so like the thought of being out in the community and socializing with other people is something that adds to the fear and anxiety. So, yeah, there are so many different things, but yes, definitely identifying the fears and also like the goals, right? Yeah. So fears, concerns, goals. And I think that's a good place to start. So if like you were talking about when we started off, you were giving the example about the person with dementia was invited to a family event and they really wanted her to be there. If you haven't been out and about for a while, Mm -hmm. it's really important to do little outings and start building up success, building up confidence. Yes, because it's like, you. yes, it's not always going to be a straight win, right? It's not always going to be like you get to that 
the biggest goal that you have set for yourself. We all want that to happen, right? But we know that it takes these little baby steps to get there. And also like celebrating the success of these small steps that we're accomplishing and achieving along the way, right? So yeah, like, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's good. I I mean, this is, it's an, it's an interesting topic and, a, and more so than ever, I see it from the perspective of the spouse or the caregiver because I hear their stories. Yes. For sure. So let's see, setting realistic goals. Yes. Yes. And that leads us into that because if you've identified the reason why they're reluctant to perform the task, then we need to make sure that the goals we're setting are realistic, right? Like for some people, it may not just be going straight into thinking, how can I set up the environment for success with this big outing, right? It's like the little things along the way. So maybe it's just taking a walk outside with a family member, maybe it's visiting their family member at their, at their house. Right. And maybe getting outdoors there. It's just like these little things along the way that are going to help improve the chances of, of a successful outing into the community is, the, you know, cause that's the main goal. <laughs> I think time element is something else that families need to consider. It's not just that physical accommodation. Yeah. Or equipment or strategies and knowing what they can do physically. Yeah. With someone who has dementia and, and it's the same with the stroke population. People wear out. People have different amounts of endurance. Yes. Different thresholds for frustration and just auditory visual input. Yes. How how does a caregiver determine when their when their loved one has dementia, how do you, what are the signs of somebody getting overwhelmed or frustrated or, you know, like ah, time's up, time to go home? Yeah, I think it's about you know not doing everything all at once, like putting that person in the like your goal is to get that person out into the community. Well, not straight going straight to that community outing, but seeing how they do with like shorter periods of time. Like, like I said, like maybe you go to a family member's house and you're there for maybe like an hour or two. Well, how did this person do in this situation? Right. Were they, were they okay? And then maybe next time, once they're at that family member's house, bringing more family members there and seeing how they react to maybe three or four people versus there you like, go. Two people. I like that. So, kind of, you know, doing these small little things and kind of seeing like how, how their endurance is like being out, you know, and maybe socializing for that amount of time. And then also is how they do with that sensory stimulation. Like, is it, is it, was it okay with maybe one or two people and maybe with like three or four, it's just not happening. Like, let's just kind of get, let's kind of see how the situation is going and we'll go from there. I love that. So I think one thing I, I want to make, I'm all about like charts. I like the visual like organization. Yeah. So I wonder if you and I put our heads together to help people like once you overcome like an entry, then you need to think about what's the cognitive endurance like? What's the time? So mm -hmm. it's like time times how much stimulation there is. Like don't go to a coffee shop at prime mm -hmm time in the morning when it's crazy. Mm -hmm. So you go when it's quiet. Because exactly. someone with a communication impairment, they cannot, most cannot tolerate a lot of that extra activity and input. Yes. 
For sure. That's a very, that's a very great, because that, that just made me think of like a situation where this person went to a restaurant, but it was all about, they, they were still kind of, you know, paranoid about COVID, but we figured out like a time when that restaurant was the least busy, Perfect. They had outdoor seating. So then that alleviated the fears associated with like COVID and also kind of like helped provide like a less like overstimulating environment. So. There's just an awful lot of thought that has to go, in. Know. you know, and, and you can see and we, you and I can relate with our caregivers and how overwhelming it is. There's so much to think about. And like, I know I'm, I'm thinking about different situations as you're like talking about them too. It's just so much to break down in different steps. But I think the main thing is, like you said, like first we need to identify the fear and the goal, right? And then we need to talk about like setting these realistic goals and maybe, you know, maybe we have a goal set, but then we have to modify it along the way. Right. Have <laughs> A, B, and C. Yes. And I think it's about like, I think as human beings, like we tend to be very hard on ourselves when we have this set goal and like, that's just not happening, but it's realizing that we can always just modify that, you know, and meet that person where they're at and just kind of, you know, yeah, modify that goal to help everybody win. <laughs> And that way we're celebrating that small success and those small achievements. Amen. Small wins. Small wins are everything. (laughs) They are. And I also want to throw in not to be judgmental. If you have a goal set for your loved one and you don't achieve it exactly how it is in your head, that is not failure. No, it's not. Focus on what worked, make your adjustments, and then try it again the next time. But you have to... There's just so much planning that goes into all of these outings. But it's how important is it, Mary, for our folks to interact with others? I think it's really important, right? <laughs> like we well, we all know, right? When we were all doing COVID, you know, yeah. and we're all locked in our houses, that was really, really, really hard. I know. And COVID has kind of changed the way that we socialize and we, I don't know, it's just so different now, but I think it's so important if we can bring the socialization to somebody in a different way, whether, you know, if they're not quite ready for that community outing, like how can we bring that socializing aspect to them, right? Like can, is there friends that could come over to to our house and and hang out? That's right. At the right time of day for the right period of time. So if people do come over, say, you know, two hours is about the maximum. And, you know, I may have to kick you out sooner, you know, if my person is getting too tired or overwhelmed, whatever the steps may be. For sure. But identifying that. Well, Mary, we're, let's wrap it up. So I think we have to, if we kind of summarize, identifying fears and concerns, Mm -hmm. Pick one task, break it into small steps. Mm-hmm. Know what your person's limitations are as far as time, their yeah. physical abilities, and what kind of equipment they need to have. Yes, yes. With them. Celebrate small wins. Mm-hmm. Try again. And I believe that people need to write things down. Yeah. It sounds silly, you know, like we talk about all this like journaling for self-care, but I think journaling for caregiving could really help provide objective information. 
Oh, instead of having it just kind of rolling around in your head, you know, I know for myself, like I'll miss some details. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I write it down. Have you ever, I'm guessing you've taught this to your families. Yes. Cause then you'll start to observe patterns, right? There you go. Yeah. Even let me give you an example for someone who doesn't have dementia. Like my dad recent recently had a compression fracture and he was in a ton of back pain. So I told my mom, Hey, let's write down morning, afternoon, and then bedtime, his pain sitting down and then moving around and like, let's track it and see if we can see a pattern. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? So then we can report back to the doctor, like what, what's going on. Right. And she was like, that's a great idea. I didn't think about that. So just thinking of different things that we can do, like if, if, you know, whatever the concern is and trying to track it and seeing if like what works, what doesn't work. Cause then you'll like, like I said, you'll start to see patterns of what, what's going on. I think it's great. Any other practicing for success? That's oh, important. Yes, yes. And having a support network. Being flexible too, right? Like if oh. something practicing, but yet like being flexible that, you know, this may not work right now. This may like the main goal that we're trying to achieve may not work right now, but we're hopefully we can get there. And if not, we'll have to modify. Yeah. All right. So Mary, can you tell folks where they can learn more about you and the programs you offer and how they can follow you on social media? For sure. So you can follow me on social media, your dementia therapist. It's on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I have a lot of articles on my website as well that go through all about dementia um, anything and everything. <laughs> so y'all can search on there yeah. as well. I have a workshop that I recently did hosted live and that was unlocking hidden resources where I went through all the different medical professionals and just some different resources to think about throughout the stages, how to introduce healthcare professionals to the person living with dementia. Cause that's a common concern that I hear from caregivers, you know, it's, it's great that we have these resources, but how do we get this person to the doctor? You know, how do we introduce a caregiver? So I go through the different examples in my workshop and I have some eBooks. I have my course, which I'm currently in the process of like redoing what's offered in the course. So I will have that available soon, but, but tell, so, cause I know this is streaming. I think on my, is this streaming on my page as well? <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> I'll find out afterwards. Yeah, this is yeah, the first time we're repost doing. it. I mean, that's the other thing we can repost it. Okay, cool. Um, and then tell everybody a little bit about what you do for my readers who are listening. So I'm Genevieve Richardson. I'm the owner of Life Speech Pathology and Life Aphasia Academy. So my specialty is serving typically folks with a left hemisphere stroke who have any kind of speech language or cognitive issues after a stroke. But I also work with any other diagnosis that impacts the brain. If it impacts speaking, listening, reading, writing, communicating, those are my peeps. And you do this through virtual visits as well, and you accept insurances. Right. Yes. So I am a hundred, well, I'll say 99% telepractice because <laughs> if somebody lives close to me, I'll at least try and see them once in person in their, in their own environment, but everything is telepractice, which allows me to take my specialized skill and experience mm-hmm. and reach them through zoom and the miracle of the internet yes. into their home so that people don't have to settle for 
you know, a therapist that doesn't have extensive skills, especially in like a chronic language condition, because yeah. aphasia doesn't go away in six months when mm -hmm. someone's discharged from the rehab process. Yeah. It takes years. And if people want to keep getting better, if they have goals that they want to achieve, have better connections and communication with their loved ones, my practice can serve them. Yeah, help them reach those goals. You have changed so many lives and you're just such a great resource for everyone to know about. So if anyone is listening to this, they have their loved one who's had a stroke, definitely, definitely reach out to Jenny. We are. So <laughs> a couple other places for resources. So this live streaming thing is relatively new. You are my second live guest. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then what happens here from this live, we're going to have one every week on Thursdays at 11 central. Doesn't matter if it's daylight savings or not, 11 a.m. And then this content plus any extra handouts we have will be available through my podcast, the Listen for Life podcast, which also releases on Thursdays. Oh. So the podcast will be one week behind the lives. And that's where people can sign up and subscribe. I'm actually going to pop up. Let's see if I've got it here. For anybody watching, there's a cute little QR code up oh, wow. in the top left corner. <laughs> so the you can hear the podcast every week, you know, by subscribing through Apple or Spotify. But if you want extra content, the transcripts, the summary, the take-home messages from these episodes... You can only get it by subscribing to the podcast and you'll have access to that. The uh, content downloads, I tend to make a lot of eBooks and journals and workbooks that kind of go along with these episodes. So. Amazing. Yes. And I love, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and they're great. So it's, it's a lot of fun. There's great topics mm -hmm. and there's so much more to cover. I forgot that actually we did one together. <laughs> yeah, we one. did. I think you were you were number ten. So oh, as cool. of uh, this week, I'm at thirty five. Oh, that's amazing. I know. You know, I you know, A plus for consistency. Yeah. I actually like the idea of these doing these kind of lives with you because it's kind of like back and forth. Like let's people get to see a little bit about how we brainstorm through specific situations, like what we've yeah. done for past clients rather than, you know, just like a quick little video that is produced on Instagram or Facebook. Or yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And I think as you and I, because you and I, we talk all the time. Yeah, That's what people don't know. We talk all the time. Mary and I, we were introduced by a mutual friend mm -hmm. and, you know, and we're like two peas in a pod. We're cut from the same cloth. She's doing for dementia, what I'm doing for the aphasia community. And, and it's so cool. yeah. you know, later on this year, I'm going to have a course available. I just need a few more hours in the day to keep working on that. <laughs> and Mary's course, everybody, I've seen Mary's full course. I've seen her webinars. I've mm -hmm. seen her mini courses, but her full course about dementia, Mary, just tell us real quick. It goes through all the stages of dementia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. everything a caregiver spouse loved one needs to know yeah and then what else I, can you tell us yeah so I go through the different stages and then I go through some different helpful approaches and like the final like bonus uh, episode of it so it's a really great resource for caregivers and I am just the type of practitioner too that I want everyone to be informed of like the symptoms that you may come across throughout the stages but also like how can we 
focus on abilities to really help that individual living with dementia thrive, you know? So my mission in this world is just to spread more awareness on dementia, but also talking about all the different things that we can do to help bring purpose and help focus on quality of life. So, and I know that's something you're very passionate about too. And I, I just love seeing different providers in their niche and I love seeing the passion behind what we do. So I think it's really cool that we're doing this work in the world and helping other people. Yeah. <laughs> so and meeting like this, we could ha- we could literally do a round table. We could yeah. have a variety of professionals on. Oh, that would and be great. We could, and we could talk through cases. We can so anybody watching, anybody listening, if you have a topic Ooh, that so you want covered, whether it's through me or Mary or we need to pull in somebody else. Let's do it. We are always looking to serve and give information. Mm-hmm. And Mary and I have a great network here in the Austin area and beyond Austin. Yeah. So this would be really great. It would be great to get like a, a physical therapist involved, like maybe a nurse. And I have some different disciplines and kind of oh, like for sure. The situation. We, we need a grief counselor. We need to yes. talk about hospice. Yes. So we. So there's a lot of good things to come. This is not one dimension. What what we're trying to accomplish here? We're mm-hmm. we're trying to support the community, support the caregivers and their loved ones. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) All right, everybody. Here's the outro. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.